You are listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we conclude our study of examining how we are intended to love, live, and learn from others in our church family with a series we are calling Life in the Family. With this week's message, here's Connections Pastor Caleb Carmichael. I have a test that I use to, to determine how close of a relationship I have with someone, how close of friends we are. I call it the shotgun silence test. And it says, it's how comfortable am I riding shotgun with someone in their car in perfect silence? Because I think there's a correlation between how close you are with someone and how comfortable you are sitting in silence with them. So think about it. Maybe go back to, to like your first date with someone. And you're all nervous and you're anxious and like maybe you go and pick them up and you're riding in the car and you feel like you have to fill every single second of that car ride with conversation because if it gets silent, it just gets awkward and uncomfortable and you think, they don't like me, this is not a connection, I don't know what's going on, I hate this. Or, or maybe it's just a friendship or you remember thinking about making new friends and, and you try to have conversation and, and maybe you just don't really know what to say yet and so you try to just fill the time with like small talk about how's the weather or how the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Um, good things, yes. Uh, or, you know, maybe you don't even know what to say so you just start talking about yourself and you start talking about all of your accomplishments and maybe like talking yourself up so people like think highly of you. You just don't know what to do. But there's, there comes a point in a relationship where you can just sit, you can just be with them in silence and it's not uncomfortable at all. And I experienced this test in, in action um, a while ago. When I came on staff here at Grace, a few months later, our pastoral staff went to a conference in Dallas, and we kind of carpooled down together. We were there for a few days, and then we were driving back, but a few people left to, to, to go on vacation. And so I ended up um, in a truck riding shotgun with the Blake Boyd. And Blake's a big deal. And here's a few things I knew is, is Blake um, was pretty introverted, and, and I'm pretty awkward. And so, like... This is probably his nightmare of me getting in the car with him for two hours with, not, with just us. And so we get in the car, and we're riding back, and we're, we're having some good conversation and, and some deep conversation that's going pretty well. And then I look up, and we're about halfway back, and I realize we've been sitting in silence for about 10 minutes. And I'm like, we're friends! Like... This is, this is it. This is happening. We're passing the shotgun silence test. Now, I don't know if Blake would say that. He might say that was the worst car ride of his life. But for me... For me, it was a big deal because there's something significant about just being able to be with a person. No agenda, no awkwardness, nothing uncomfortable, simply enjoying the presence of another person. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe for you, that, that person that would pass the shotgun silence test for you, maybe it's your spouse. Like you come home at the end of the day and you've just been looking forward to seeing them all day. And maybe it's like still chaos. Like you still have to cook dinner and wash dishes and fold laundry and pay bills and all the things. But it's just better because they're there. Maybe for you, it's, it's your mom and dad. Maybe you're, you're, you're still in school and you have a great relationship with your parents. You just feel safe and comfortable around them. Or, or maybe it's you're an adult and, and this like Thanksgiving, you get to go back to mom and dad's house and it feels like you're just a kid again and it feels like everything's okay when you're around your parents or your grandparents. Maybe for you, it's just that best friend. The person who just knows you without you having to say a word. They just get you. They'll cry with you when you're crying. They'll celebrate when you're celebrating. They're your person, right? You can go to coffee and you can talk for hours or you can sit together and just enjoy each other's company. You know this feeling when you're just comfortable with someone. 
And if you were to sit down and and make a list of the people who could pass this shotgun silence test in your life, maybe it would just be one or two people, maybe it would be ten. But I'm I'm wondering, for, for many of us, if we were honest and we were being transparent, for how many of us would God make the list? For how many of us would we feel comfortable just being with our Heavenly Father? With no agenda, no requests, no pressure, no sense of performance, and no sense of obligation, just an awareness of his presence, just being. And while that idea might sound foreign, or it might sound strange, or or even just weird to you, or or maybe it feels frightening and scary and vulnerable, or, or maybe it even feels a little bit exciting that you can experience the presence of God in your life. I more and more believe our ability to simply be with God, to be with Jesus, to be aware of his Holy Spirit in us and around us is the key to living out the life that he's called us to live, this life in the family. Because it's when we're with God, when we are with God in his presence that we receive his love. And if we've never received his love, we can't turn around and give it away because we can't give away something we've never received. And so if you're new with us this morning, or, or maybe you're just visiting, someone dragged you here because you're here for Thanksgiving break, or, or maybe you've just slept in the last week, we're in the, the middle of a series called Life in the Family. And we're looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just by myself in isolation, but together, as a family, the body of believers, Scripture calls the church. And so we've looked at several commands from Jesus and some of his closest followers on what this life looks like, the, the life of a believer, the life in the family. And we've said that it's to be marked by these things, that we're to have devotion to one another, that we are to be devoted to one another, we're to be for each other, that we are to honor one another, to consider others more valuable, more important than myself, that we're to bear with one another. We talked about how Understanding the realization that I'm no picnic to live with means I can turn around and bear with the people who are no picnic to live with either. How we're to encourage one another, to to literally put courage into someone, to speak life into them, to edify one another, to build them up and not tear them down, to serve others, to carry their burdens, to fellowship with. And all of these commands flow out of Jesus' one command to his disciples in John chapter 13, to love one another. Jesus says this, To his disciples, the night he's betrayed, he says, a new command that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That each of these commands that we have looked at, each of these one another's flow out of this one command from Jesus. To love as Jesus has loved. And yet Jesus calls this new, and I, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself arguing with Jesus. That's, that's probably not a good thing, but I, but I do. And I, I read this and I say, Jesus, this isn't new. Right? Jesus, I don't, I don't know if you know your Bible, but this is like all the way back in Leviticus. This is all the way back in Deuteronomy. We've had this for a while, Jesus. It says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, not new. Jesus, I don't know if you remember, but you actually taught this same thing. Remember that guy that came up to you and said, what's the most important command? And and Jesus, you said, love God, love others. Jesus, this isn't new. What's new about this? And what I think is new is Jesus is saying, yes, the important commands, love God and love others as yourself. I'm taking it a step further. I want you to love as I have loved you. 
And the way that I've loved you, I'm about to demonstrate tomorrow by going to die on a cross for you. That the love that I have for you isn't just a feeling, it's not just an emotion, it's a choice to lay down my life for the betterment of others. It is a self-sacrificial, put others' needs in front of my own type of love. A love displayed on the cross is the type of love that we are to have for one another. And this love that we are to have starts right here in this family. It starts with believers, how we treat one another. And he says, the world will know. The world is going to know that you're my disciples by how you live out this one another life. This life in the family by how well you love each other. And then over and over and over again in the New Testament, this command is repeated. You can find it in John's writings, in Peter's writings, in Paul's writings, in James's writings. Twelve times you can find this command to love one another. And if you zoom out and look at love in the context of what a life of a believer is supposed to look like, it's hundreds of times that our life is to be marked by love. The central theme of life in the family is one of love for others. And so this morning, we're going to open up our copy of Scripture. We're going to look at a few different verses. We don't have time to look at them all. But if you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to open to Romans chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 8. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, there's some in the back of the room on on some carts. We would love for you to pick one of those up. They're our gift to you this morning. You can also find all of these versions if you're following along in the YouVersion Bible app or the Church Center app. They'll be there for you as well. As you're turning to Romans 13, the context of this is Paul, one of Jesus' followers, was writing to the church in Rome to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. This Jesus movement is relatively new, and he's giving instructions on what it looks like to to follow him. He's talking about what it looks like to to deny your flesh, to not walk by your flesh, to to walk by the Spirit, which is a new thing for believers, that, that we now have the ability to have the Holy Spirit dwell within us, to be led by the Spirit of God himself. And then he gets into the nitty-gritty of of what it looks like. Do these things as believers. Don't do these things as believers. He gets to a section where it talks about we as believers are are to be subject to the governing authorities above us. And that we aren't to owe anyone anything. That we're to pay taxes when, when taxes are owed. We're to pay respect when respect is owed. We're to pay honor when honor is owed. And then in chapter 13, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, owe no one anything except... To love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul is saying, we don't owe anybody anything except we owe each other love. And you, you think like, well, I don't, I don't owe that person anything. They've never done anything for me. What have they done for me that I owe them? Paul says that's not the point. It's not the point that they've done anything for you. That we, all of us, we constantly and continuously owe each other love. Not because anything that they've done for us, but because of what Christ has done for me, what Christ has done for them, and who Jesus says that they are. That they're created in the image of God, that they have worth and they have value. So we are to love them. And if you've ever wanted, like, the Sparknotes version of what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus, this is it. Paul says, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's it. Love others. Just like I find myself arguing with Jesus, I find myself arguing with Paul. And I'm like, Paul, that's, that's too simple. Like, Paul, I, 
Paul, I've grown up in church, and, and let me tell you, it's way more complicated than that to follow Jesus. It's, it's not that simple. Paul, Paul, think for a minute. There's more than just loving people. There's a bunch of rules to follow. Paul, have you read the Bible? There's a lot of them. Like, Paul, even just like the big ones, like the Ten Commandments, those are a big deal, Paul. Like, Paul, what about those? And, and he, Paul, being brilliant, he's already ahead of me. He says, no, no, even those. Don't murder, don't covet, right? Those are summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm like, well, but Paul, there's a bunch of commands about loving God, too. It's, it's important that we love God. And Paul says, yeah, even those. And any other commandment that you can think of is summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. If that makes you uncomfortable, because, because it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, because I, I kind of get the, like, okay, I'm supposed to love God and worship him, but, like, the loving people, that's really, that's really hard. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. Just sit in that. And then let's see what Jesus has to say about the same thing. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's describing what life in his kingdom looks like, what life in this family looks like. And he says, imagine you're going to worship God. Now, in his day, that meant you, you came to the temple in Jerusalem. And maybe for you, that meant you, you were on a several days journey or a week's journey, and you were coming to the temple to worship God, and you were preparing your heart, you were preparing your mind, you, you brought along this sacrifice to present to God on the altar, and you're ready to come and worship God. And it's this big deal, and you're showing up, and, and maybe you're waiting in line, and, and you get to the front of the line, and you're present, about to worship the Lord and give your offering. And Jesus says, imagine in that moment you remember you remember that, that your brother or sister has something against you because you've, you've done something to them. You've, you've wronged them in some way. You've hurt them. What does Jesus say we're supposed to do in that moment? Does he say like, well, it's not really a big deal. Just kind of forget about that. You have more important things to do in this moment. You're here to worship God. So just forget about that. Maybe deal with it later or maybe just ignore it. Like maybe it'll go away. But right now, the most important thing you can do is worship God. That's why you're here. No. Jesus says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That Jesus is teaching us that how we love one another matters to our Heavenly Father. That it is more important to him that how we treat each other is that we treat each other with love. That's more important to him than checking off a list of things on our religious to-dos. And so if, if we hear this, we say, okay, I'm supposed to love one another. If it really is that simple, why does it feel like the Bible is so complicated? And why, and why does it feel like I still don't know what to do sometimes? So this morning, I want to invite you into an exercise, into a, a meditation, a practice, a thought experiment. A way to wrestle through this command to love one another. For the rest of the year, when you're reading scripture, and you're specifically the New Testament, when you come across um, a, an imperative, a command that says, do this thing or don't do this thing, I want you, as a, as a thought experiment, to pause and say, how is this command an application of, an example of what it means to love one another? Instead of viewing it as a command in and of itself, in a vacuum, say, how is this an example of what it looks like to love one another? And here's, here's what I mean by this. My, my wife, Sam, is a baker. Um, she makes the best chocolate chest pie you've ever had in your entire life. It's so good. She makes it for my birthday. She made it at Thanksgiving. Um, but when she's making pie, um, she's, she's following instructions, right? There's a recipe, 
And in that recipe, there are imperatives. There's commands, right? It's like add a cup of flour, add a stick of butter, knead the dough. I, I don't really know what she does, but it's magic, and it happens. And then it's like bake at 350 degrees for 30 minutes, right? There's, compa- there's commands. There's imperatives. But those aren't the goal, and those aren't even the point. Those are steps and instructions on how to do the one thing that she's trying to do, and that's bake a pie. That Jesus says... A new command that I give you, that you, the one thing that you are to be known by, that you as a follower of Jesus, the one thing we're to be marked by, you are to love one another. And so what does it look like to come to the New Testament and see the imperatives and see the commands as examples of what it looks like to love one another? And so let's, let's go through our list that we've been walking through in this series to see how this plays out. We've talked about how we're to be devoted to one another. Why? Not simply for devotion's sake, but because being devoted to someone, being committed to them, is what it means to love one another. It's the loving thing to do. Why do we honor one another? Because considering someone more important than myself is the loving thing to do. Why do I bear with one another? Because God has bared with me, and I've received that from him, and it's the loving thing to do. Why do we encourage, edify, serve, carry burdens? Why do we fellowship with each other? It's because it's the loving thing to do. That these are all examples of, they're applications of, the one command from Jesus to love one another. And you can take this with the positive commands that do these things, but you can also take it with the, the negative commands, don't do these things. Like growing up, I was taught that like, I'm not supposed to lie uh, because the Bible says so. Well, like why does the Bible say that I'm not supposed to lie? Because lying is not the loving thing to do. Because lying breaks trust. Lying hurts others. Lying seeks to control my circumstances to my advantage at the cost of someone else. Lying diminishes my ability to be seen and to be known and diminishes my ability to see and know others. See, I don't lie simply because the Bible says so. The Bible says so is because lying is not the loving thing to do. Or, Or maybe take it with something a little more sensitive. The sexual ethic of the Bible. The Bible says that we are not to have sex outside of a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. Why would it say that? See, the world will tell you that that sex is how you demonstrate your love. It's how you show your love for another person. But the Bible says, no, 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 It's, it's to be in this marriage relationship. Why? Because it's the loving thing to do. Because what sex does outside of the safety and the protection of marriage is at its best is it hurts people. And it leaves people with regrets. And it forms attachments between people that they carry with them. But at its worst, it objectifies and dehumanizes and will quite literally enslave people. See, the Bible doesn't say don't have sex outside of marriage because it's boring or it's old-fashioned or it's out of touch. It says it's because it's the loving thing to do. And so for any command that you come to in Scripture, when you're reading Scripture and you say, do this, don't do this, come back, pause, and say, how does this point me to a life of love? Why is this, how is this showing me what it means to love one another? Because if we lose sight of the why, it becomes very easy to do things for their own sake. Because if you make the recipe the point, you will miss the point. And what will happen is you'll end up in legalism. 
Because what will happen is if, you, if, you're, if your whole point is I'm just trying to follow the rules, I'm trying not to break the rules on one side, I'm trying to live out the rules on the other. If the point is following the rules, what's going to happen really quickly is you're going to start looking for loopholes. You're going to start justifying things in your own mind. Like, it's, it's okay that I do this because really, what is this? Like, it's, it's okay. I can justify anything in my own mind. What's going to happen is you're going to see how close I can get to the line without actually, like, stepping over the line. And instead of looking for a way to live a life of love, I'm looking for a life of, like, getting as close to the breaking the rules as I possibly can. Or you're going to sit over here and just say, I'm so much better than everybody else that can't follow the rules as well as I can follow the rules. And you end up in legalism. I'm going to invite you, if you have your copy of Scripture still open, to turn to Galatians chapter 5. This is another letter from Paul, and he's going to speak about this very thing, how it's so easy to go back to this rule-following, legalism way of life. Galatians chapter 5. The context here is this is one of Paul's earliest writings. He's writing um, to believers, and, and, and all the believers are new believers at this point. This is a whole new movement. And people are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. How do we live this life out? And there's some people coming in, the Judaizers are saying, well, well, Jesus came from the Jews, and so if you want to follow Jesus, you have to become Jewish. And you, you have to follow all of the laws of the Old Testament if you want, if you want to, to follow Jesus. And part of that is you have to go through a procedure, you have to be circumcised, you have to do all of these things. And they're like, what, what does it mean? What, what's required of us to follow Jesus? And Paul comes out and says, it's none of those things. It's faith. It's trust in Jesus. And he says it this way in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He says that when you trust in Christ, you have been set free. Free from shame, free from guilt, free from the power of sin in your life. You have been set free. But stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says it's going to be so tempting and so easy to go back to that rule-following way of life. Verse 2, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. That you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, and you have fallen away from grace. That if if you're going back to this way of life where it's up to you and you have to perform, you have to follow the rules, you have to do all these things, you've missed the point of grace. You've missed the point that you could never do it on your own. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only. The only thing that counts, Paul says, is faith working through love. It's not your performance. It's not your ability to follow the rules. It's not your ability to avoid the bad stuff. It's your faith. It's your trust in who Jesus is. And that faith will work itself out through love. He continues, verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That Paul's saying don't go back to that rule-following way of life that you've been set free, free to love. But it's, it's so easy. And here's, here's what it's looked like in my life. So go with me here for a second. This analogy might fall apart. It might seem a little silly. But we're going to pretend that this stool is God. Okay, so God is, is sitting here on this stool, and he's over here on this side of the stage. Um, just pretend with me. Um, that's God. And then over here on this other side um, is me. Okay, so I'm, I'm over here. And 
I understood at a pretty early age um, that God um, was good and that he was holy and that he was perfect and that meant he was over here um, somewhere and that I um, was not good <laughs> or holy or perfect, um, that I had messed up a lot. And, and I don't know what my, my six or seven-year-old version would have said, but I understood that at some level that I had done things wrong, that I had messed up. That, that I was broken and flawed and, and by my own choosing had rejected God's way and put myself over here. And so I was separated from God and I was, I was way over here. And then I, I, I understood in an early age because um, people taught me and I was presented like the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that, that I could never get back over there. I could never be good enough to get back over there, that I needed help, but that Jesus was good enough for me. And though, so I didn't have to do enough, I could just trust in Jesus. And when I trusted in Jesus, something amazing happened is, is like my seat got moved back over here. Not because I was really good, but because Jesus was good. And so that by trusting in Jesus, I end up back on this side over here with God where I can sit and I can be with God and I can have a relationship with God and then God can work in my life through this. And I got that. I got the good news of the gospel. It moved me over here. Um, but what I, I really didn't get was, was the gospel wasn't just from, like, moving me to point A to point B. It wasn't just, like, getting into heaven, right? It was, like, this life of following Jesus, that it was all dependent on Jesus, and it was all dependent upon him. Because, see, what I tried to do is I didn't really want to sit here with God. I just wanted to, like, do life my own way. Right? I still wanted to live the life that I wanted to live and do things the way that I wanted to do them. But I didn't want God to be mad at me because he might punish me then. And, and I, so I, I would start, like, trying to do good stuff to keep God on my good side and avoid some bad stuff to make sure, like, God didn't punish me. And so I'd come and, like, instead of just sitting and being with God, I would just try to perform for God. So I'd, I'd like, do, you know, I'd, like, read my Bible. But it wasn't so that I could connect with my Heavenly Father or understand him more. It was just so, like, I could check it off my list. Be like, God, did you see? Hey, hey, look, right here. I did something good for you. I read my Bible. And then, like, I'd pray. But I didn't really know how to pray. Or what to pray. And so most of my prayers were, were kind of like, like the conversation in the car with a new friend. Just kind of small talk and what's going on. Or, or, or I'd just try to talk about myself and say, like, hey, look how good I am, God. Or like I'd pray for someone. And that was extra special because I'm praying for someone else. Um, and, then, and then I'd try to like, okay, I'm supposed to like give money? I don't know. Maybe that's going to give me like extra points. That's really high. If I, if I give God money, and then, and then I'm supposed to serve, and maybe I went on a mission trip, so I'm stacking these things up. And at the same time, while I'm stacking these things that are good up, I'm, I have all this stuff inside of me um, that's just broken. But I don't want God to see it, and I don't want the rest of the world to see it. So I, I got really good at like hiding all of my bad stuff from people. So I look like a really good person, and, and I'm pretending to be a really good person for God, and I'm hiding all of this stuff away from God. But, but what happened is I was just exhausted, because I just set about trying to please God. I was trying to follow the recipe, but my, my recipe, the goal I was trying to live was to live my own life and keep God just happy enough. And so what eventually would happen is I'd keep stacking things up and trying to do good stuff, and eventually I'd just be exhausted and burnt out, and I just couldn't be good enough anymore, and it would just what? It would just all come tumbling down. And then I'd hear about people talking about this life that Jesus offered, a life of joy and fullness and wholeness, and I didn't feel that. See, I was trying to do a bunch of stuff for God without ever just being with God. 
I was trying to earn my heavenly father's blessing without ever just enjoying my heavenly father's presence. I was trying to work out of my own effort and ability instead of living out of a sense of dependence upon the Lord. And if you think back to my shotgun silence test, if I'm honest, for a lot of my life, God would not have made my list. That I wouldn't have been comfortable just being with God. Partly because I, I, I just didn't fully understand what that meant or, or what it looked like. And I still don't. I'm still learning. Part of it was because I, I didn't fully understand the beauty of the gospel and of grace. And, and I still probably don't. And I'm still learning. But, but a big part of the reason I, I didn't feel comfortable here is because I was, I was scared. I, I didn't want God to see all of my brokenness. I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to bring my insecurities, my flaws, my failures. I didn't want to bring my pain and my heartbreak. I didn't want to bring that before my Heavenly Father. I didn't want Him to see my mess. And it's no wonder I couldn't consistently live this life of love because I couldn't give away what I had never received. Now, at one level, I had received God's love in a tremendous way, right? I had been moved from death to life because of Christ's love for me on the cross, right? I had received God's love in in a profound way, and yet at the same time, I hadn't drank deeply from it. I hadn't spent time resting and meditating on God's love for me. I hadn't consistently and continually gone back to this source of love, reminding myself that I am already accepted, that I am already significant, and that I am already secure because of God's love for me and what Christ did for me on the cross. See, I was trying to earn God's approval, and I'd missed that he already approved. And if that's you this morning, I want you to to hear me say this. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear me when I say this, that God loves you. That God loves you. And I know that's cliche, and I know you hear it all the time, but I don't want you to miss the significance of it, that God loves you. That he wants a relationship with you. That he isn't mad at you. That he isn't sitting up in heaven waiting to punish you for the moment you step out of line. That he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. That he knows you've messed up, and he knows you'll continue to mess up, and he loves you anyway. And if you're here, you've never trusted in Jesus. Um, I have some bad news and some good news. The bad news is if you've never trusted in Jesus, you're still, you're still over here. That, that God is holy and he is good and he is perfect. And that, that we, you and I and everyone in this room, willfully have rejected God. That we've chosen our own way. We've said, I know better than God. I'm going to define good and bad on my own terms. I think I can do better than God. And the Bible calls that sin. And we end up over here separated from our Heavenly Father. But he doesn't want us to stay here. And he knew that we could never be good enough to get back on our own. And so he sent his son Jesus. Jesus who lived a perfect life that we could never live. Jesus who died sacrificially for you and for me to take the punishment of our sin, that our sin over here deserved a punishment, but Jesus took it himself so that we wouldn't have to. And the story doesn't end there, that three days later Jesus came back to life. He rose from the grave, defeating death itself so that he might offer me and he might offer you life. Life eternal, life everlasting, and life here today. And that if you want to get back over there with God, it's not about trying really hard or cleaning your act up or being a good person or having the Bible memorized or doing enough good deeds or serving enough, right? No, it's just simply about saying, I'm broken 
And Jesus, I need you. And I'm trusting that what you did on the cross counts for me. And the Bible says when we trust in Jesus, something miraculous happens, that we are made right with God, that we are a new creation, that we are born again, that we have new life. And if you're here and you've never done that before, I'd invite you to do that right where you're sitting. You don't have to say a magic prayer. You don't have to clean your life up first. But if you'd like some help in knowing what that might look like, you might just pray to God, just, just in your own heart and your mind, say something like, God, I know I'm broken. I know I've messed up. I know I've failed. But I'm trusting that what Jesus did counts for me. And the Bible says you receive new life in that moment. And if you've done that, if you say, yeah, my stool's over here, but maybe you're like me and you've spent a lot of your life as a believer, but you spent a lot of your life as a believer striving, striving to please God, performing for God, striving to control my own life in a way that, that I feel comfortable with, I want you to hear me this morning as well, that God loves you, that God is already happy with you, that he's already pleased with you, that you aren't working for God's approval, but that we get to work from God's approval. That when we realize we are already accepted and loved by God, that we can turn around and give that out to the people around us, that we are free to love. And so if that's you, if you've spent a lot of your life like me trying to build and perform your way to God, I want to invite you this morning to simply just be with God. Simply take your place before your heavenly Father and just be. And you can sit in silence. For me, I, I, I can't sit still very well, so for me it's when I'm running. But it's just an awareness of God's presence in my life. It's an awareness of God speaking th to me through his Holy Spirit. And what's going to happen is if you try to do this, you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to choose. You're going to choose to trust to choose to trust that God is for you and that God loves you and that God is safe. Because what's going to happen when you do this is God's going to begin to reveal things in your life and he's going to reveal his love for you and his acceptance for you and at the same time he's going to reveal things that you don't really want revealed. And he's going to ask you to bring those things out into the light and, and it's going to feel scary and it's going to feel vulnerable and you're not going to want to do it because you're ashamed and you're embarrassed and and. You know, but you might like pull one thing out and be like, okay, God, I'm, I'm scared. I don't want to give you this, but, but I'm going to. I'm going to trust that you're for me. I'm going to trust that you love me. And what's going to happen is, is this weight that you've been carrying, this burden you've been carrying, this thing you've been trying to hide, this thing you didn't want anyone to know, that God's going to take that. He's going to say, it's okay. I love you anyway. I love you anyway. He's going to take that from you. And maybe you can bring another thing out. And another thing out, till eventually you can just bring all of your mess, all of your insecurities, all of your failures before the Lord, and you can simply be with him. That when you experience God's love for you, his acceptance of you, when you experience the presence of God in your life, when God can pass the shotgun silence test for you, and that being with him is a joy, and it's not a burden, all of a sudden you'll find freedom. You'll be free to love other people because all of a sudden you won't feel the weight of having to perform. You won't feel the burden of trying to live this life to prove to your heavenly father that you're good enough. You won't feel the need to be in control of your life because you'll trust that your heavenly father is good and that he is in control. 
That, that you'll be free to love other people because all of a sudden, people aren't my competition. People aren't my enemy. All of a sudden, I see the image of God in them because I've received God's love. I can turn around and give it to them. And I can lay all of these things down before my Heavenly Father and I can enjoy His presence and I can receive His love. Every week of this series, we, we've given you in, in the bulletin or uh, in the Church Center app a, a set of questions to think through. Steps to take to to living this life. And if you've noticed in every week, the first step we've always mentioned is to abide with Jesus. That word abide means to remain, to stay with, to be with Jesus. Because we believe that, that this isn't about performing. This isn't about working hard. This is about being with Jesus. It starts with abiding. Jesus himself in John 15 says, from apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's when we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time receiving his love, that we can then turn around and give it to other people. And so what does life in this family look like? It's a life marked by love. A love that is secure and confident. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of the love that we've received from our Heavenly Father. And so how do we live this life out? It begins with being. Being with Jesus, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to show you God's love. It begins with receiving God's love because you can't give away what you have not received. And then, like Paul describes in Romans chapter 8, it's this life of walking by the Spirit. In the day-to-day moments of life, moment by moment, being aware of the Spirit leading you and guiding you. And not out of effort, but on dependence, trusting in Him. Maybe you're hearing, yeah, that all sounds great, but I need something just a little more concrete. (laughs) That sounds wonderful, but what do I do? do? (laughs) A question that I found extremely helpful in this process, I got from another pastor years ago. And I both love this question and I hate this question because for me it's been so clarifying that when I can pause and ask myself this question, when I can pause and say, Holy Spirit, lead me to the answer to this question, it's been so clarifying. But I don't always want to do what what I think the answer is. So the question that I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself when you encounter people or you encounter situations and you say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to live a life of love, but I just don't know what to do, ask yourself this question, what does love require of me? In any and every situation, ask yourself the question, Holy Spirit revealed to me, what does love require of me? And I hate this question because it's so incredibly clarifying That when I'm in an argument with Sam and I can actually take the moment to pause and take a deep breath and say, Holy Spirit, what does love require of me in this moment? I know what the answer is, but I don't want to do it because I just want to prove that I'm right. And when my son is not listening and he's driving me crazy, and, and I know he's just four, but, but there's something about a four-year-old that can just drive you crazy, and, and, but I can pause in that moment and say, Holy Spirit, what does love require of me? I know what the answer is, but I don't always want to do it. For any and every situation, what does love require of me? And I believe that the Holy Spirit will reveal these things to you. Sometimes it's, it's clear because Scripture says so. That we are to encourage one another, bear with one another. All of the things we've talked about, clear examples of what it means to love. But sometimes you're even thinking, okay, I'm sitting over a cup of coffee with someone, and I know I'm supposed to encourage them, but but I don't know what to say to encourage them. Holy Spirit, what does love require of me? 
And when the Holy Spirit reveals what love requires, you're going to be faced with another choice to take the step of faith through obedience, to trust and depend on the Holy Spirit in that moment. And this isn't a grit your teeth and just try really hard to do it. No, this is a Holy Spirit. I can't do that. That's going to cost me too much. I'm going to be too vulnerable. It's going to be too scary. But I'm going to take a step of faith anyway. I'm going to trust you. What does love require of me? Following Jesus, I think, is incredibly, incredibly simple, but it is not easy. If you're sitting here thinking, ah, that's too hard, this is too much, that's going to cost me too much, I don't, I don't know if I signed up for this. this, this way of life that Jesus talks about, I don't know that I can live this. i remind you what Jesus says about his own way of life. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my way of life, my teachings, my instructions, my life of love. Take that upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm lonely in heart. And when you do that, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That this series that we've been walking through, this life in the family, this is not meant to add more to your plate. It's not meant to create more lists for you to strive to achieve more, to make God happier. This series is meant to illustrate and point back to the full life that Jesus offers, a life where circumstances will be difficult, challenging, painful, and impossible, where people in this room will be difficult, challenging, painful, and impossible, but where God's presence is found in the middle of all of those things. That God's presence is found in all of the challenge, all of the difficulty, all of the impossibility of living this life out. Jesus is waiting for us there and that we can rest in him. It's a life where we don't have to hide, but we can be vulnerable before our heavenly father. We can bring to him all of our flaws and all of our failures and all of our pain, and he's going to see that. He's going to love us. He's going to begin to slowly work in our lives to mold us and shape us into the people that he's created us to be. It's a life where we sit free and easy under Jesus' yoke, where we begin simply by being with Jesus. Because when we are with Jesus, when we're with our Heavenly Father, when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, that's when we become more like Jesus. And that's when we can go out and live the life that Jesus has called us to live. It starts with abiding. And if you're here and you're sitting and saying, like, that sounds wonderful, but I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to begin with this. In just a moment, we're going to pray together. And in that moment, I'd invite you to ask the Lord to show his love to you. In a moment when when, when I'm praying, just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to reveal God's love for you. It begins by receiving that love. And then if you're like, if you would like to talk to someone about what this looks like, what spiritual practices look like, what it means to be with Jesus or or to pray or to read your Bible or any of these things, I would love to meet with you. Our pastoral team would love to meet with you and talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. Please reach out. But I don't want you to miss that Jesus' life isn't one of striving and earning and performing. It's one of surrender. It's one of dependence. And when we enter into that, we find acceptance and we find peace And we find love. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.